Good deal. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on Esther 4. I would say uh, right after class, if you want to consult with Josh on how to handle bears, it sounds like he's had a near-bear experience that uh, would could be bears. Not bears on wheels. That was a whole book from the 70s. Well. That's what I was going to say. I have my money on Josh on that one. That is... Ex- Maybe for Jesse and his phone, we should give the whole bear story, but because he's recording. No, he, but he would, wouldn't know on that. How about praying for us, Jared? And then chapter four it is. Um, wow. Papa, you think we had to read the whole thing? Maybe let's pray and read the whole of chapter four and then get after it. This is so amazing. Um, it's just a, a fascinating chapter. So how about it, Jared? Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to come together as, a, as your body and look in your word. I pray that you would give us wisdom and a heart of understanding to see um, what you have in here for us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm, amen. Papa, what do you think? You want, would you like me to read? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I'll read chapter 4 of the book of Esther. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth and in every province remember there were 127 of them Mm -hmm. wherever the king's command and his decree reached there was great mourning among the jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes when esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed she sent garments to clothes mordecai clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king outside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king for these thirty days." And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. 
Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any other Jew. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for a time such as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Papa. Such a uh, a phenomenal chapter. This last part is, um, I just feel like, so practical to everyday life. Tyler's reminded us uh, that every word matters when you're talking about Scripture. Every word in here um, is, is, is worthy of uh, consideration. Um, something that I don't know that we've talked about that's been fascinating to me um, in the book of Esther, and we see it again here in chapter 4, just like to mention it briefly, is that there is often a description, a description of um, duplicates. And, and I would have never known this. I saw it in my 1984 uh, NIV study Bible of all crazy things. And um, there's two lists of the king's servants. There's two reports that Esther concealed her identity in chapter 2. There's two gatherings of the women in chapter 2. There's two houses for the women in chapter 2. Two fasts in chapter 4, we see that. Two consultations with Haman and his wife and his friends. Two unscheduled appearances by Esther before the king. Two investitures of Mordecai. Two coverings of Haman's face. Two references to Haman's sons. Two appearances of Horban. You just see on and on these this duplicates. And I find that the book of, and maybe I'd like to ask you this before we get into the meat of the matter, you too, Jared, on what have you seen, like what do we see about just the way Esther is written in the first three chapters, uh, maybe four chapters now, that, that's kind of fascinating about the narrator and about how God has used that. Papa, you have things on that? If you don't mind, uh, we mentioned that there were literary techniques, but we didn't go into them. And I just, just to kind of catch us up, and, and this is just one literary technique, it's um, coincidences, which we would oh. say is providence. And this will kind of catch everybody up to where we are. Oh, and uh, this is such a great list. Oh, oh it is. You. Yeah, I love But I don't this. want to go beyond where we are no, because we don't want to spill so, the beans. Oh, yeah, right. Because uh, nobody's reading ahead. Not uh, this group. They're waiting. So patiently. The story, <laughs> the story begins with the Persian queen's timely dismissal, which opens the door for Esther's ascent. When a search has begun for a new queen, it just so happens that Esther is brought in for the competition. And it just so happens that she wins the favor of the eunuch in charge of it just so happens that Esther finds favor in the eyes of the king. After becoming the queen, it just so happens that Mordecai is working at the king's gate and learns of an assassination plot. It just so happens that his name is recorded in the king's book of memorable deeds and there's a courtly oversight to reward him properly. 
When Haman becomes enraged at Mordecai, it just so happens that the lot is cast to find the best day for the destruction of the Jews falls almost a year away. That gives the Jews ample time to prepare for that day. It just so happens. Yeah. And the story and it keeps going. Keeps going. Yeah. What about you, Jared? What have you seen about just the way this is written? I mean, the narrator is fairly objective in this story. He's he's telling both sides. You see the side of the Persian and you see the sides of the Jews. Yeah. So going off of what Papa Fred was saying there, to the unbeliever, these things are going to look like just mere coincidence. But to the one who's like immersed in the story of Scripture and the yeah. story of the Bible, we're going to see God is the one that's behind this whole thing. That's great. And I'm per- obviously on purpose, not mentioned. The Lord's not mentioned, neither is prayer. We see fasting here, um, but you just see God's providence laced throughout when you're looking for it. And I think especially coming off our uh, series of providence over the summer and really, really encouraging. You might remember chapter three was about this bad egg. Mom always called everybody a good egg. Haman was a bad egg. And uh, my and Alistair Begg called him Haman the Horrible. And uh, he had a fat head and a fat mouth. That's what Alistair said. I don't even really know exactly what that means. Except that he was definitely full of himself. We will see that more next week. And this one now has changed more to, um, to Mordecai. Alexander Carson, who lived a while ago, wrote a book called The History of Providence. And this is a summary of the book of Esther. He says, the book of Esther is particularly the book of providence, the hand of God in his ordinary providence has linked together a course of events as simple and as neutral as the mind can conceive, like Jared's talking about. If one's reading this without knowing God's providential hand, you'd say, oh, this is just a good story. Um, Yet as surprising as the boldest fictions of romance. So, okay, so we read this book and we're forced to consider the possibility that nothing, not anything happens except by God and according to God's will. And uh, if we can feast on that this week and the rest of our lives, I think it's absolutely incredibly life-changing. In the words of the catechism and the second question in the New City Catechism at the end of, of the thing on the question, what is God? Nothing happens through except through him and by his will. Papa, you've taught us that. You've lived like that. What's that, the difference in life if we can remember that? How, how is every day different? And Spurgeon even equates it to the aphid crawling across the rosebud, that that's not a coincidence. Yeah. That's the hand of the living God. So if we could live our life like that, Nothing should catch us by surprise. Now, sometimes we have to adjust mm-hmm. to where we're going, but uh, trust God in his providence that the all things will work out according to his will. Yeah, and that's exciting. Um, Jared, you have, on, and it must be in the first three verses, something on Mordecai's repentant heart. Mordecai learned that all, he had, um, all that had been done, and Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the midst of the city, and he cried out loud um, and bitter cry with a loud and bitter. I hadn't thought about this. I think it was Stalsterbeck said this too. might have been Matthew Henry said, uh, he has to feel responsible. It's due to his actions now that all the Jews are scheduled to die. I had never thought about that before. 
That would be quite a wait. Because he was scrupulous, because he did the right thing, now all the Jews, there's the edict that all of them die. And so I, I didn't think about kind of that extra weight that that must be. Went up to the entrance of the city's gate. No one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sadcloth. I think the king only wanted, if you were in a happy mood, <laughs> then that's, you can't come there in, in this kind of dress. And in every province where the king's command and the decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. I think we've seen that before, where it wasn't just fasting. It was weeping. It was lamenting. It was a, a horrifying experience. Jared, um, tell us about what you got about Mordecai there. Yeah, if you read this at first, it might seem like their reaction is a little bit exuberant and maybe flamboyant, but this is what it looks like to have a humble and a, a contrite spirit that is acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. And we see this a little bit in salvation, too, when we, we first come to an awareness of our own sin is the Holy Spirit. He, he causes this grief in us, and we see our own depravity before God. And we see that here in the same way. So this is not, you know, over the top or anything. It's This is what happens when the Holy Spirit convicts you and is poured out on you. Yeah, absolutely. Papa? And it's expressed, and this is more of a, the excessive expression of grief and lament and wailing and mourning is very much a uh, an Eastern um, way of life. I mean, you even see today on, on television, if there's a Middle Eastern funeral, there's uh, loud cries of lament. And it's, um, and then, and biblically you see it too. Uh, so this is not, excessive. Mordecai, at the end of three, to catch you up where we are, at the end of three, the order has gone out, the decree's gone out to not only Susa, which is where Mordecai and Esther are, and the king, but it's gone out to all the 127 provinces. So all 127 provinces are doing the same thing, all the Jews. And one of the commentaries I had said that there was 15 million Jews involved. Wow. 15. Now, that don't, that's not in Susa, that's in the entire Persian Empire, but you got to remember that included present-day Israel as well. We, we forget about that, that the whole empire was controlled by Persia. That's really interesting. I was going to ask you about, do you think there were Jews maybe in all of those, primarily Susa, but then uh, maybe a lot of those other provinces? Yes. MacArthur said that, that um, after the time of the Babylonians, when the Persians conquered, the Persians relocated the Jews throughout the kingdom. Huh. Now, I don't know the why of that. That's not explained. But uh, that now, as far as Israel, Israel was the province beyond the river. You remember that's referred to in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. So that was the name of the uh, that province. But that included all the Jews that went back after the, um, the exile. But remember, that was only about 55,000. And if we're talking about 15 million assuming that's the correct number. That's just a fraction of what was distributed throughout the empire. But that's all the way from India to Greece mm -hmm. to Ethiopia. To Bay Area. Right. Now, it's fascinating. So there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of mourning here. Um, Jared, you had a thought on um, just praying as a body of believers. And we're going to see this, that Esther asked her 
female friends or helpers to help her to fast later. But what do you see here on that? Um, th this is probably should be an encouragement to us, do you think? Yeah, it should encourage us to go to other believers with our issues and our problems. I think individual prayer is stressed a lot in Scripture, but we also see praying as a body too in like Acts, Acts 12 where the whole body is praying for Peter to be released when he's in, in prison. So God responds to that prayer. And we got to remember that we're all part of a body. And the eye can't function without the hand and the hand can't function without the foot. So if we, we understand that we're all interconnected and we should be quick to go to others with our problems and seek um, collective prayer in this way. Do you think it might be our pride that sometimes can keep us from doing that? I guess we might be prideful either way. If we're always letting everybody know about everything, that could be because it's, you know, hey, look at me. But do you think sometimes maybe we're just too proud to admit that we need it? Yeah, I think it's easy to become like shameful of our problems yeah. and we want to conquer them in our own strength, but we need to be quick to go to the Lord with these things like the Jews did here. Now, Papa? Well, see, Esther uh, actually exercises one of the her first leadership mm -hmm. role in calling for this fast. I want, after she realizes the consequences of all of this, she asks her uh, attendants and everyone connected all and he then she directs Mordecai hey go have everybody in Susa fast so yeah. it's not just her court not her entourage or the concubine uh, just everybody in Susa which is pretty that's Susa was the large one of the largest cities one of the capitals of Persia at that time so I don't know how many Jews would have been there but a lot yeah good so in verse 3 the Jews are fasting, then um, Esther asked those in Susa to, and uh, verse 4 says, when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, this is about Mordecai being, you know, in grief, the queen was deeply distressed. She said, garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Uh, Beg said, you know, you can't fix that, uh, something hurting on the inside by, you know, making you feel spiffy on the outside. Um, that's probably pretty good for all of us to, to think about. He needed the Lord to give him uh, comfort here. And, uh, and he has really some, a, a challenging thing to, to present to Esther. Then Esther called for a half-fuck, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Uh, if you're going to weep with those who weep, you need to find out why they're weeping. And so that's exactly what Esther's doing here. Athok went out to Mordecai to the open square in the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Papa remind us of that sum of money. It was and, and more actually, than... actually, I verified that today with Siri, and she still goes back to her original number. Uh-oh. $226,291,702.50. Which uh, might have been two-thirds of the whole annual income of the Persian. That's right. It was 375 tons of silver. So, Bruce, if you want to keep us honest and... Tell you what, tell us what the value of 375 tons of silver 
as we, we stand waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mark, what about you? If the Hutton brothers tried to corner the market back but, in a ways ago. But the question is, you know, uh, how did Mordecai, one of the questions is how did Mordecai know about the amount of money? So he conveys that to Esther, mm -hmm. which simply says that Mordecai had his ear to the throne somehow hanging around the gate. And so he probably had some official position and, and maybe may rumors were galore. Could be. And maybe you would say, similarly, he found out about that murder plot earlier. Exactly. By hanging around the gate. Yeah. And he wasn't just hanging. He had an official role or... You know, there's a. I, I uh, years ago I got uh, in studying the Reformation. I got intrigued by the uh, by Henry VIII in England because that's the crux of the uh, English Reformation. And I found out that yeah, King Henry was king, but boy, there were there were a lot of interlopers around trying to get either close to him or opposing him, and they would gossip, gossip, gossip. So uh, there was probably a lot of gossip going on in mm -hmm. the gate. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm certain. Well, look at uh, verse 8. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and to plead with him on behalf of her people. So Mordecai, I, I guess we presume, is letting Esther in on some things that even she didn't know. And uh, Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Um, what you have there, Jared, for us on that part? Um, I want to read a verse from Ezekiel to give us an idea of what's at stake here for Israel. Um, Ezekiel 16 says, God's talking about Israel. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were aboard on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I'm, I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. So I think what Mordecai is seeing here is that God had mercy on Israel, but Israel had turned their back on God, and that's the reason that they were in this Babylonian captivity in the first place. I think Mordecai is a little afraid that the same thing is going to happen with Esther here if, if she doesn't take action. And I think he sees that God has taken Esther from, um, he, she was an orphan at the time, and God raised her all the way up to the queenship. And now he's like, this is your chance to, to mm -hmm. be faithful where Israel had formerly failed. That's good. Baba? Well, you know, too, it's interesting in this verse 5, it says, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Suddenly, mm -hmm. Esther, who has withheld the fact that she's a Jew, uh, is told to go to the king and spill the beans. Um, mm -hmm. Spill the beans. So, number one, she's not supposed to go to the king uninvited. Number two, uh, now he he doesn't know about her Jewishness. Now, he might not even know. I'm sure by now he knows that this edict affects the Jews, but he doesn't know that she's a Jew. So now, the cat's out of the bag. Right. Yeah, that's how interesting. In verse 9, man, there are a lot of commentators commentating on this. Uh, in 10, 
Hethah went and told Esther what Mordecai had said, and Esther spoke to Hethah and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except to the one the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. I remember as a little guy, mom reading this story to us, or dad, and just finding like, that is a fascinating law. I want to know what if he loses that thing, right? I kept thinking as a little guy, like, I don't know if that's very safe to go in there. What if he can't find his scepter, you know, or what's the, the idea? But once I read the commentators a little bit more, Esther had to think, humanly speaking, you know, the king's a cranky guy. He hasn't necessarily been made any sense through most of this book. And she hasn't seen him for 30 days. And then, I would have never thought about this. Turn back one page maybe to chapter 2, verse 19. One commentator said that it's interesting. Verse 19 is stuck in here again, not randomly. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. So this is after Esther becomes king. There's more invites for more trials here with more virgins. And so several insinuated that she hasn't seen him for 30 days. But that doesn't mean that there hadn't been a lot of concubines that had seen him in that time. Well, that's right. This... Um second uh, gathering, I guess, is really supposed to be for those women that had gone into the king and come back, and that's where they go, to the second mm -hmm. um, group of, of ladies. Yeah. So uh, it, I, I don't know what that exactly means, except that there was, we know there's, there was 400 of them originally in this contest. Yes. So it, it, would it be safe to say that Esther, humanly speaking, didn't probably feel very confident about that scepter coming her way. Well, it's been, what, five, seven years since that she was chosen queen. So so probably not because she hadn't seen the guy or been called for 30 days. That's yeah. not a long period of time, probably with 400 other people to choose from. Yeah, maybe. Jared? Yeah, there's definitely no guarantee that she's going to be safe here. And I think this is... Esther's first big trial in this story is that she's going to have to risk her life here. And I think God brings this trial about to really test her faith. And uh, I'm reminded of Hebrews where it talks about discipline. And if we're left without discipline, then we're not legitimate children. And so God's going to put Esther through this and the result is going to be her faith is built. Perseverance and character builds hope. Absolutely. Right. Makes us more mature and complete in Christ. And boy, this would be quite a trial. I want to comment on this This one one fear, too. Um, one of the <clears throat> commentators said that Herodotus, and he's a Greek historian that's pretty accurate, said that uh, this law against anyone coming uncalled to the king of Persia when they were sitting on their thrones was first enacted by Derosis, a Mede. So this, go, this law goes way back. And the throne was also protected by guards with axes. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so they dealt immediately with any intruder into the throne room. 
Now the king was other places, obviously, that on his throne. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I guess he was on his throne to receive guests and official visitors and that type of thing. But it's like Queen Elizabeth; she didn't spend all her time sitting on a throne. She couldn't get anything else done. She had apartments and and uh, aides and and whatever. So, but uh, axes. Can you imagine facing That's the serious. axe? Yeah, Matthew Henry said the royal uh, palace became the royal prison. Like he's only, I mean, he's sitting there all by himself. Some, one of the commentators said seven people could see him and uh, the queen's not one of them. Uh, that's right. Now, I wonder if uh, Haman's one of the, mm. the, the, the there's seven people and those were princes, but then there's also Haman. So I don't know where he fits in, whether he's mm -hmm. above them or below them or. Well, and he had come in, well, that's next, that's next week. We can't read that. That's it. right. We don't want to jump nope, ahead. Can't read ahead. Spill the beans. Nope. Here. That's exactly right. So. Um, this is where 12 to 16 is so good, and we could spend hours here, but um, it sums up, and maybe just read, uh, one commentator said that this sums up the themes of Esther. The Jews' deliverance is it's entirely based on God's sovereignty, and Mordecai knew it. God's sovereignty is not fatalistic. I want us to see this is fascinating to me and so good. Just because God's sovereign, that does not take away one lick of our responsibility. Man is still responsible, and we'll see that. Um, never should lead to licentiousness. Um, Acts 2.23, where we see um, that with, with our Lord Jesus. And then, everyone is where they are for such a time as this. And I'd, I cannot get over what a great thought that is. Everybody, including right now, Next week at this time, all through the week, God has us here or wherever you are for such a time as this. And it's just a great, great thought. So they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Now listen to Mordecai's response in 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. That's interesting. He says, if you don't do what you ought to, and uh, this edict goes through, your neck's on the line as well. Then verse 14 is so great. For if you keep silent, at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come not, uh, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Jared, what's uh, thir 12 through 14 packed with just great theology and so many great practical things? What would you say? I mean, I want to start with going off of what you were saying about human responsibility here. We see God's sovereignty all over the place, but at the same time, Mordecai doesn't absolve Esther of responsibility. I was reminded of the passage in Ezekiel where it talks about God makes Ezekiel a watchman for the people of Israel. Essentially, if God says that disaster is going to come to the city and you don't say anything, then you're going to be the one at fault here and the blood's going to be on your head. Hmm. I think Esther actually has a similar responsibility in this story here. If she doesn't do anything, then God's going to quit blood to her. That's a good analogy with Ezekiel. Ezekiel tells us to go out and share the, uh, the good news or share um, with others. And if we don't do that, their blood is going to be on our hands. And that's kind of scary. 
and that same principle, I guess, applies today. If we if we know uh, neighbors or friends or countrymen that are not saved, and we don't share that mm -hmm. good news, yeah, because we're there, Papa, for such a time as this, aren't we? Yeah, wherever I'm not a queen, but I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, but we wherever we are. Any day of the week is we're not accidentally there. You're not accidentally in this room. That's exactly right. Nor were you. You were knit together in your mother's womb because that's the mom God chose for you, right? And you're with whether that would be your siblings, your job, your marriage, your kids, everything. And uh, and what a comfort to to know that. Could you comment on this? idea of such a time as this. I want to start, I think, being quicker to use that language, you know, just in my own heart for my students and my family for such a time as this. This is why this trial is going on. This is why we're, these good times are going on. It's for such a time as this. Well, we could plug that into your uh, golden chain, Jerry. Because that's, for such a time as this, whatever the, your story. And God's using whatever trial it is, right, or whatever good time it is, for such a time as this, to conform us to the image of Christ. Jared, thoughts on that? Or uh, I just think how life-changing, right, to camp on that? Yeah, I mean, we talk about the fact that God is sovereign, but now is the day for salvation. Yeah. And we should be eager to evangelize and to share the gospel and to bring other people into this faith because we know that it brings so much joy to us and there's so much life in the gospel. Mm. Hebrews 2 says, Today, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. Today, turn to the Lord. Today, repent. So th there's an immediacy there, sort of like the Ezekiel charge. Yep. You know, tell them or their blood's on your hand. Yeah. Josh fighting the bear for such a time as this. The little <laughs> the little guys right on kindergartners tomorrow. The, every conversation will be for such a time as this or the college students or working with the pets or whatever we all have going on. You know, I think those FCA girls in the golf course, you know, every interaction is for such a time as this. What a great thing to, to remember. And I think it would make us more excited about every interaction. I think it would bring some conviction. Like, am I kind of lollygagging through this thing? Am I saying, hey, I don't have time for this right now. I got to get to the next thing. No, we need to take that time. And Jared, your point's well taken to say, absolutely see these souls as important, the ones that whoever were talking to at the time or by ourselves when we're by ourselves is for such a time as this let's not lollygag and waste time any more thoughts on on that before we get to esther's response here well chris will uh, you know who chris was uh, he's gone to be with the lord now he says who knows this 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 is i mentioned god's name this phrase is god language who knows that's for such a time as this uh he he's uh, said it was God language. And I think there's more God language in Esther as I continue to mm. read it, uh, not only in the providence, but in just these repeated circumstances. And also, um, Josephus has some interesting observations. He says 
Now, again, Josephus, sometimes there's a question mark about his historical recollection, but he, uh, he re records Esther, but then he, he says that, that the Jews cried out to God uh, on behalf of their plight uh, in his uh, essay on Esther. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether that's true or not, but so part of that fasting, fasting normally goes coupled with prayer. I mean, you don't just fast and say, I'm not going to eat and, and then go about your merry way. You, 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 you pray, you uh, contemplate, you meditate on, on whatever. And, and so, uh, so he, he says that the Jews were doing that throughout all of Persia. That's good. Yeah. And continue to notice the, the uh, similarities between Joseph's story and uh, what we see in Esther. Let me just read really fast on this same topic, uh, Genesis 45. I remember Mark preaching about this uh, early in our church. Verse 3, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in, into Egypt. Um, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. But God sent me before you to preserve life. So Joseph says, you guys did it, but God really was behind it. So again, not saying they didn't do a wrong thing. They did. They sinned. But God used that. It's an incredible passage. Verse 6, for the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So interestingly enough, God uses Joseph to save those 70 family members, the Jews. And now he's going to use Esther uh, in a similar way. Papa, you want to read um, here Esther's. Um, Is that 16? Yes. Oh, well, I, let me start with 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Now, we hinted at this earlier when we read the, uh, the chapter. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Now, that was probably a lot of Jews. I can't say how many, but that was a, a good number in the capital. Uh, and do not eat or drink for three days or three nights and... I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, although it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went on his way and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. Jared, I can't wait to hear your thoughts here. Yeah, the, the last verse here with Esther having to decide what to do here, it's very similar to Abraham and Isaac. That's what this reminded me of where... God tells Abraham that Isaac is going to be the one through whom his offspring shall be named. But then he says, go sacrifice Isaac on the, the altar on the mountain. You have to think that Esther's probably thinking a similar way where she's saying, what is God doing here? You brought me to the queenship for this purpose, and now all of a sudden the Jews are about to die. She has to have some level of confusion. Abraham's got to be thinking the same thing when he's going to kill his own son on the altar. But... In both cases, God intervenes and works it out. The thing is, with the gospel, 
with the death of Jesus, God never intervened. God poured out his wrath on Christ, and Christ had to go up, and there was no golden scepter that was extended to him. And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel right there, is that all these events, all these Old Testament stories of sacrifice and faith, they were all leading to this ultimate sacrifice where God's wrath would ultimately be poured out on Jesus. Isn't that something? You think about Isaac, the ram was the substitute for Isaac, but there was no substitute for Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, he did spare Isaac, he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I know several commentators believe Paul was thinking about that very verse when it, about uh, Isaac and Abraham when he wrote verse eight, chapter 8, verse 32 um, in Romans. Papa, what hits you about these these last couple of verses, Esther, she's now to the point where she will obey what she knows to be right, even with her neck on the line. Well, again, she's showing a lot of leadership, and, and she's been somewhat passive in the whole book. But now she's ordering, she's telling Mordecai what's going to happen now. Uh, she she's, she uh, commands that he go and tell all the Jews to fast in the city of Susa. And and that means something. Yeah. And and uh, and then, of course, follows it with if I perish, I perish. And obviously, you know, there's this is kind of an interesting story because, uh, you know, the, the, the chapter three ends with in fifteen the couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king. That's the the couriers carrying this bad news, and Haman and the king sit down and drink. And and. Uh, this and the city was in turmoil because mm-hmm. of this decree, and they're just having a party, mm-hmm. and and they're kind of ignoring the plight. Now Esther's stuck away in the palace; she doesn't know what's going on, and she, she I guess, uh, you you're sort of they didn't have texting and TV and stuff like that. So um, until once she finds out through this exchange with Hathak, she said, "Oh wow," and then she. It's kind of, it's kind of reluctant to accept responsibility for going to the king, you know. Uh, my neck's on the line, but then when she does, she does. If mm-hmm. I perish, I perish. And so um, I thought this probably that verse in the Bible is probably one of the best known mm-hmm. uh, Bible verses. If I perish, I perish. Yeah, it's really good. And our attitude should be the same. Should be, shouldn't it? And Gregory insinu- insinuated that. Uh, Esther, so far to this point, had kind of been kind of flowing downstream with the Persians. Sort of, you wonder about some of her decisions. She seemed to be just kind of going with the flow there. But now she's going to start swimming upstream. She is going to say, no, I can't. I've got to take a stand now. I have to do the right thing. And uh, and Mordecai um, challenges her to do that. On your point there, Papa, uh, one of the commentators said Mordecai and Esther were fasting while Haman and the king were feasting. And so there was uh, definitely a difference. <laughs> that's a, that's your the, favorite word, feasting, right? Yeah, there was feasting, but yeah, not that kind they were they were doing. There was not a not a good feast. Jared, how about closing this here with some um, with some final thoughts? What? When you read chapter 4, there's just so many, I think, encouraging things about the way we ought to be and strong convictions, not so concerned about the 
doing the right thing no matter what, uh, like Esther is, um, you know, is convicted to do here and, and will do. Yeah, chapter 4 definitely shows us that we should be quick to seek God when we have trials in life. And not just seek God's provision, but seek God's his gift of wisdom. I think mm -hmm. Esther starts to pray, and she, you see the transition of Esther's thought throughout this passage, where she goes from almost like she's ashamed to associate with him, she's sending Mordecai the sackcloth, and then by the end of the story, she has this determined, resolute will to go into the king. So I think in that time she had been praying, she had been fasting, and God had given her strength and he had given her wisdom to know what to do in this situation. That's really good. Let's not miss out on what God does to, to change people here. This is uh, the, the Jews are fasting. Like you said, Papa, we would believe that they're certainly probably praying at the same time. Then now Esther and um, her handmaids are as well. And, uh, and we see God with an incredible answer to prayer here. Any final thoughts from you, Papa? Um, I like, here's another evidence of providence. I'm not going to rehearse the whole chapter, but 14, when, 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 when Mordecai tells her that if you don't rise up, then, you know, uh, help oh. will come from someplace else. Yes. I mean, that says, that goes back to the Abrahamic covenant. That God's going to protect his people regardless of what you do, Queen Esther. And so don't you worry about that. But don't think that you're going to skate out of this if you don't do what you have to do. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, Mordecai knew that God was going to save his people. And uh, challenged Esther to be, God brought you to be part of that. Right? We know that God is going to, and going back to Jared's point a while ago, we know that it's God's desire to save people. Remember Paul in Acts. He went to, I think it was Corinth, because he knew to preach the gospel there that there were those that God had chosen before the beginning of time that were there, the elect. And uh, they weren't believers yet, so he was going to preach the word to them. Here we know, Mordecai knows, God's going to save the Jews, but that did not take Esther off the hook. She was there for such a time as this. We need to remember that. I think we need to uh, put um, that on our whatever mirror or in the vehicle or somewhere. We are here for such a time as this. Papa, you have one important every thing. Every one of us. Every one of us. Uh, and also, the, there is a messian, messianic line here. It's, 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 we could probably figure that out or some Old Testament pro prophet could probably figure that out. But we're talking about all the Jews. Mm -hmm. and that that are existing at this time somewhere in there there's a line to jesus mm -hmm. and if if the, if the persians are successful in wiping out the jews then there goes the messiah of course god's not going to allow that and that's right. that was mordecai's mm -hmm. point i think in 14 if you keep silent god's going to raise up somebody else and he will so another satanic effort through haman to wipe out the jews that again is not gonna um, right. not gonna work. That's right. Good. Wow, Papa, could you close us? I'd love to. Oh, great God uh, of heaven, um, you're you're an awesome God, and and I I like some of these Old Testament words. Alistair uses it sometimes. Uh, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
let your ears be attentive and 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 your eyes open to our plight and our prayer. Uh, the, even this day, or to to the sermon today, to the singing today, to the uh, to the music today, um, as as we or as Mark opens your word and and preaches and 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 thank you for your spirit that has opened our hearts and and given us uh, enlightenment to what your word says in Esther. And, and thank you, Father, that as we read your scripture, you will teach us what it is that we need to know and how are we to use that in our lives for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you get a chance, read uh, chapter 5 for next week, and, and Lord willing, we'll be back at it. It gets even more exciting.